Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of 1% Better and we are going to focus in on the art of storytelling but maybe in a in a different way and in focusing in around interactive storytelling that you can use for business but also for storytelling with your with your kids if you're if you're a parent and uh, both of those from a selfish perspective I I want to certainly improve on and hopefully people listening can get more than one percent better on that and it's with James Moffat James welcome to the podcast Hi, Rob. A pleasure to be here. So, James, let's learn a little bit about you before we dive into the storytelling. Maybe still tell us a bit about your own story. Yes. So, I am formerly from Edinburgh in Scotland, although maybe I don't sound that anymore. Grew up there, moved to the UK, lived in a number of places in the UK, Newcastle, Brighton, London. Lived for five years in the Netherlands, in Utrecht, Amsterdam, and now I live in a beautiful city of Bern in Switzerland. A, a nice uh, meandering journey as well over those years, different countries, different cultures, all probably helps with leading you to where you are now, I'd imagine. Maybe talk to me a bit about some of the key moments in the last number of years that have led you to the point you're at now and why interactive storytelling is so prominent in that. Okay, so with the, the kind of the moves from London to the Netherlands and then on to Switzerland, it was normally job-oriented in the way that I was moving, either progressing through the, the, the kind of the sales role, come from a technical background, and then moving uh, with opportunities to experience living in other countries and heading up sales for them. So the, it took me originally to the Netherlands and, and then the opportunity to, to come to Switzerland working for an international company. So always in kind of leadership, international software as a service sales roles, uh, predominantly working in digital transformation, Internet of Things, unified communication, stuff like that. So it got to a kind of a, a turning point uh, in Switzerland when I was doing that. And I, I met my wife. I mean, she's Brazilian which is a, another story how I met her. It was actually at an airport in Geneva. But anyway, uh, we got married in Brazil, uh, traditional Scottish way with my kilt and everything. And then we started a family. So Tom was our first son, and, and everything was fine. Carried on with my job. It wasn't too difficult with one child, although being new parents, everything is a challenge and, and a new experience. And also living in Switzerland is never so easy when you don't have friends and, and family or close friends and, and family around you. Mm -hmm. So this was great. So I, I carried on as normal until kind of a turning point happened in my life. And and, and this has kind of changed everything. Uh, if, if you want me to touch on that. Yeah, definitely dive into that. I think turning points in, in all our lives are very useful to reflect on and see what impact they've had so so exactly yeah go, go into that please james yeah so i, I think with international sales and, and the way that I, I was doing different various different jobs i i kind of fell into that would i say that was my passion and desire looking back reflecting on that absolutely not did i enjoy it was i good at it yes but was it something that i wanted to do long term probably not but did I know what I wanted to do? No. And, and the turning point came was, as I said, we wanted more children, uh, at least a brother or a sister for Tom. And we were blessed, actually, with twins, so a, a brother and a sister. So not in our wildest dreams did we expect to have two more. And, and we'd never actually considered like, the implications of having two more. We thought one wouldn't be so bad. Uh, we could probably handle that. But two more? So we were elated and very excited on one hand, but then thinking kind of, oh, uh, what's going to happen now and logistically, financially, and everything else? So that was kind of really the turning point, the turning point because having three children under the age of three and, and two of those being newborn babies was not going to be easy. And 
although I carried on trying to do the job, trying to be on that plane every week, uh, basically it wasn't in the contract that this is you have to take more time off and all of this and and and, and kind of family came first then and regardless of the job and yeah it, it kind of wasn't acceptable with the company and they said like are you a salesman or are you a houseman and obviously I was the houseman so it did affect my job I lost my job found myself unemployed and then thinking hmm well kind of what am I going to do next so with the unemployment I, I had the luxury if you can call it that to, to go on coaching and training so really taking anything that was thrown at me so I went to a coach and she said to me well let's have a look at your CV and it was all about sales and everything and I thought actually I, I don't really want to do this anymore and maybe I can't do it anymore because I, I if I was to get another job I don't want to be on a plane every every week and it, it just wouldn't be me, but mm-hmm. I don't know what I want to do. I have right. no idea. So she said to me, the problem is you don't know who you are. And I said, well, I do. I'm James. And she said, no, that's the name. Anyway, six weeks later, and a, a very long story short, which we'll skip that and can just get to the, the detail, I, I learned exactly who I was. So I always think there's, there's kind of three phases in your life. You, you start when you're a child and you're asking you're asking kind of the questions like, what will I be when I grow up? And I, I think I had the magical experience when I was a child to, to explore lots of different things. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I, I, I felt I had the freedom to decide anything. But it, it's kind of different when you get kind of indoctrinated into the system, kind of a matrix type of world, and, and you're doing your job regardless day in, day out, like kind of groundhog day that you, you start to realize that is this really what I want out of my life is, is this is this living or is this an existence and there is a, a huge difference between the two so at that stage I was definitely at the state of mind that well what's it all about I was lost disillusioned confused stressed very stressed and and even kind of depressed as well because I, I thought well what do I do? How can I look after three children and a wife in a foreign country, which I, my German isn't so good? And what sort of job would I do? I have no idea. But anyway. Uh, James, the, just, the, I think it is useful. And I'm sorry, just to take it back a little bit, just for, for sharing, you know, people listening. Certainly, I would imagine a lot of people hit a turning point or, or a, a key life changing moment that they're not prepared for and and you mentioned you got a coach and I'm a coach and you you, you do coaching as well in, in those six weeks is there anything that you can recall on that your coach did with you to help you figure out who you are uh, because I think that's yes. important yes no very much so when she said to me like, who are you and I said I'm James she said no she said, who are you again? She kept asking me who I am. And I said, well, a father of three kids. And she said, no, that's a situation. Who are you? And every time I answered, she said, no, 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 no. That is not who you are. Who are you? And I thought, I have no idea. I don't know who I am. Right? I, I actually reached that golden milestone in my life of being 50, which also is kind of a cross in the box when it comes to trying to apply for jobs. So I'd reached that that golden age that, that nobody seems to, to like, uh, definitely not when you're applying for jobs, living in a foreign country, not fully conversant with German, although this speak Swiss German is even more challenging, having three children under the age of three, you can imagine how I felt. So, and then not knowing who I was was really a struggle on, well, if I don't know who I am, what am I going to do with my life? How can I go back and support this family and in one hand I'm kind of like over the moon and elated that I've got like three kids and a beautiful wife but then I have no idea how to support them so anyway so she used a methodology called or a philosophy actually called Ikigai and she said to me did I know Ikigai and I said no idea what that is and she said well it's actually a Japanese philosophy uh, from one, a south island of Japan where the, the people live their longevity and it's one of these blue zones in the world where people live to be over 100 years old and it's a complete way of life. 
So I didn't know anything about that. So she said, ikigai is actually two words. Icky, meaning life, and guy, meaning purpose. And if you find your ikigai, you find your life purpose. So I thought, well, this actually makes sense. So she said, you're going to tell me who you are. I said, but I've already told you. I have no idea. And she said, because nobody's asked you the right questions. And it was fundamentally, it's the questions that you ask and then the answers to ask more questions that you're digging deep to actually discover or rediscover who you really are. So I I found this was so, so powerful that it it definitely was like peeling back the layers of who you are. And and you're not kind of just one dimensional, you're multiple. You can do so many things that you've kind of forgotten about. Because, uh, as I said, you go through the educational system of rules and policies and processes, and then you start to forget who you are. And it's really the composition of being from when you were a child and the attributes you had then that you should harness for the rest of your life. But we forget those. And actually, by doing the ikigai, it's basically four key areas is the things that you love things that you're good at things that you can offer a serve a need for and then obviously to make a living some money from doing that so once you found all of these in the right combination then it brings more meaning to your life more fulfillment and everything else so this is what i wanted to achieve i wanted to know that i wanted to know who i was and what i could offer and then once i knew that then how do i take that to the world which was great so six weeks later one of the the main things that came out of that, I mean, it was quite humorous as well because uh, I, I tried to have the British sense of humor there when she asked me questions. And sometimes, yeah, it doesn't always work. But she asked me kind of things, uh, well, what do you love? Well, I've always loved chocolate. So I said chocolate. And But could I see myself being Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory? Maybe not. But we didn't go down that avenue. And then she said, well, what else? Well, I've always been a keen footballer. So I said football, but I think I'm a bit too old to be a professional footballer now. Although maybe if someone asked me that when I was 11, it might have been different. Uh, But the third thing I said was actually storytelling. And she said, oh, right. Okay, we're on to something here. So when we came back to that, I mean, she said, are you good at the things that you're good at? And I thought, well, I always thought I was pretty good at storytelling. So yeah, storytelling. So, and then when you start kind of joining these dots up, then it starts to resonate with you and you think, yeah, where are we going with this? So anyway, so storytelling actually, I kind of became the number one attribute. Right. And she asked me why. And I said, because I tell stories like when I, in, in sales, I'm always telling a story. I don't sell the bells and the whistles and the features and functionality. I wrap it up into a story because a story is memorable. And she said, great, where else do you use it? And I thought, I don't know. And she said, well, think about like everyday life. You, you, when you talk to your wife, when you talk to your kids, you're telling stories effectively. And I thought, yeah, you're right, I do. And she said, when did you first start telling stories? And I thought, uh, I can't remember. I've always done it. She said, think back when you were a child. And, and this was kind of the flashback, like 40 years back in time, kind of back to the future. Uh, I, I said, well, actually, when I walked to school, when I walked to school with my buddies, uh, it's like a 20-minute kind of walk. And we'd all congregate around uh, my house and then walk together in a group. And I always told stories, but I'd completely forgotten about that. And she said, well, tell me about the stories. And I said, well, they always wanted me to tell kind of these fantasy kind of make-believe stories. So I did. And I felt it was just natural. I'd tell the stories. And they loved it so much. More people used to join this kind of clan that used to walk to school together in a big group. And then they would say, tell me a story. So I'd be telling stories. And in those days, I, I was a paper boy as well. So I had a paper around delivering newspapers. And, and people, or my friends at the time, would say, can we come with you? I'd say, yeah, help me out. And I said, no, no, to listen to your stories. But I had forgotten all about that. Never, never, ever recalled doing that until I was actually asked. So hence kind of taking us on to kind of where I am now. So the storytelling and the, the interactive storytelling telling 
It's basically what we do. Everybody does on a daily basis, but we don't actually decompose it and think, how do we use it to maximize the value of the desired outcome we want to achieve? So you can then apply that to business and you can apply it to personal use. So just touching on kind of the, the, the personal use. Uh, well, anyway, maybe before we go there, so I'd found basically my icky guy, and then on that though, just to dive in as well, a lot of the time as well, you you talk to people about going through their own journey to figure out and discover who they were. Did you find that difficult work? Was it was it hard work? Was it challenging? You know, did it bring up emotions? that weren't all positive you know I've, I've coached a lot of people that sometimes find it difficult to figure out who they are their values their identity yeah so actually it was very positive it was it was not about kind of regressing and and bringing out any of the negativity it was kind of the complete opposite it was all about positive things it was all about the things i love there was never any mention about things i don't love and things that were, were bad bad experiences or anything like that Although I had the opportunity to, to discuss that and to talk about that as part of kind of the, the overall picture, but it, it, the focus was definitely not there. The focus was on kind of all the things that I love and then why do I love them and why do they resonate so much with me that I want to just talk about them? And, and then the other thing is, well, what am I good at? There must be something you're naturally good at. And I've also read... Uh, Gardner's nine frames of mind and and basically it, it's the nine it was originally the seven frames of mind but they've added more to it basically the way our educational system works is all about academical skills whereas the nine frames of mind actually touch on the other skills that you have that are not necessarily academical like a, a sports person might not be good at maths and and science and stuff like that but they might be a fantastic sports person but are we actually leveraging on that and saying, well, this is something that they're naturally good at, so let's harness and, and nurture that. So actually, that's what I said. When you start looking at other philosophies and, and other ways, you can actually harness that. So it was all about positive things. So it, it wasn't negative at all. So, And then how can you use these positive things to bring a desired outcome to others. So what are the needs of other people that you can offer with the things that you're good at and the things that you love? And then if you're doing things that you love, then there's a passion and desire for wanting to do it. And, and the Ikigai philosophy is that every day, you, you don't think about, oh, I have to get out of bed and well, what am I going to do? It's every day you're enjoying getting out of bed. There's a reason for living, a reason for getting out of bed, because every day you're serving a purpose. And to find your purpose is a magical experience because then you think there is a reason for my existence and it's not actually an existence anymore. I'm living. I'm living not necessarily a dream, but you're living something that you believe in. And on and, and guy, as, as I mentioned earlier, I've read the book recently that I think Ken Moss put out and there's a number of pillars, five pillars in it. Um, and what's interesting about that is when I was reading it, some of those pillars I was I kind of, in an unknown way, uh, adopted and are kind of living towards as well of like starting small and, you know, talk about 1% better, you're kind of incrementally improving, that's that's important. Um, and, and certainly being in the moment, there's meditation kind of tied into that. Of the pillars, can you tell me a little bit about how you maybe started to apply some of those as you move towards living towards your purpose? The challenge was also at the end of my kind of six weeks, it was kind of rushed into a six week program. I mean, typically it would take longer, yeah. but th these were six weeks of two hour sessions. And uh, it was kind of done. Uh, I love the stuff I, I could do also at home. I didn't have to do that. So when I'm listing all the things that I love, do I have to do it actually in front of the coach or can I do it at home and then discuss what, what I have? So, Typically, it would take really three months of quite intense deep dive and questioning as well. Uh, so, yeah, the, the pillars, it, it depends because when I, when I was left at the end of it, so, I mean, you, you see on, on kind of on the wall behind me, we have uh, my icky guy. 
And it, it's something that is kind of the, a blueprint or a foundation of the things that you're good and you love and so on. And But it's not static. It's evolving all the time. And you can't capture absolutely everything in such a short period of time. It's kind of the things that you remember or you're asked about and then you deep dive on storytelling. But if I if we were to deep dive on everything that I said I loved, it could take years. And I mean, would there actually be a purpose of actually doing that? Or you just pick out kind of the, the key ones that really resonate with you. So at the end of it, I, I felt that I'd gone in there not knowing who I was. I was kind of on this roller coaster ride and it, it felt fantastic actually discovering more and more about me. And I was so enthusiastic about going to each session. But then when it kind of came to the end, and it kind of concluded with this kind of a wall chart I've got, a blueprint, and what can I take away with me? I said, well, actually, what do I do with it? What, what's the next step? And I was told, well, I'm sorry, I'm kind of a life coach. I don't do the next step. You have to go and find something, find someone that's going to help you. And I thought, well, I'm kind of lost now. I was lost at the beginning on this roller coaster ride. And now I'm lost again. I, I don't know where to go. I, I have no idea. I, I need someone to help me take this to a, the next level. But I, I, I didn't know how. So I was kind of scratching my head as well. How can I apply storytelling and, and things like that and the things that I love? It wasn't just storytelling uh, to, to serve a purpose. I, I don't know what people need. I don't know how to apply that. I don't know how to create a business from that. I, I need someone to help me. So it, it then became another challenge. But anyway, uh, I did find a coach uh, as part of a program I, I then joined. And one of my coaches uh, is Kevin Harrington. Uh, probably say, who's Kevin Harrington? But if you know, uh, in the UK, they have their entrepreneurial show called The Dragon's Den, right? Uh, the original one was called the Shark Tank in the US. Uh, and the original shark of the Shark Tank was Kevin Harrington. So he was this serial entrepreneur, business owner, investor, and so on. So he became a mentor to me. Uh, and so I leveraged on his experience. So I, I did a, a number of things. So I, I all. I know we're kind of digressing a bit That's here. That's fine. No, this is good stuff, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I found that in my mentorship program, there was lots of kind of people that wanted to, either aspiring entrepreneurs that should have a business idea, but maybe they haven't done anything with it, and business owners that are kind of struggling that, that need some help. So the program would actually be to help these, but it wouldn't be to help you find your idea or to find your ikigai or whatever. That that's not part of it. But I, I quickly noticed that the hundreds of people that, or thousands in the end, that were on these programs were, were kind of lost as well. So I wanted to create something uh, that would give them visibility because I didn't have visibility to them and they didn't have it to me. So if there was something that could create visibility to make, and what do you want to do with visibility? You want to make an impact. So then I thought, oh, that sounds pretty good. So that was kind of how the name Visibility Impact was born. And, and, and that's when I thought, how do I give others visibility to make an impact? So I, I registered the .com, which I, I was quite amazed that it didn't exist. And then I, speaking with Kevin, he said, you can create visibility by leveraging on the power of the radio. I said, the radio? Who listens to the radio these days? But anyway, <laughs> uh, apparently quite a few people. And I thought, in Switzerland, is there a radio that actually speaks English? So anyway, a bit of research. I found World Radio Switzerland in, based in Geneva that actually did a radio show in English. So I, I approached them. I, I went there with an idea of creating a program a pilot program to, so we could test this out, that business owners could even go on there and they could promote their business. So effectively like a podcast, but uh, for the radio. So we did that. And, and each week we featured a different business that would be broadcast out over the radio uh, for that whole week at different intervals. 
uh, to maximize the listening time. So we did that. And yeah, kind of six months later, I went back to, to Kevin and I had the opportunity to pitch in front of him. So I pitched what I'd actually done. And he thought it was so good, I kind of won the first prize, which was a, a video testimonial from him about what I had done. And, and he, him being my mentor and coach, and, and he's become a personal friend now. Uh, so he did that video testimony, but I wanted to kind of take it to a, another level. So that ran for six months, and, and that, that was kind of the visibility impact. But what else could I do? And, and then through kind of the, the personal side with storytelling, I, I find that with three small kids, I, I tell bedtime stories. Well, I, I didn't at the time. I read books to Tom, our elder son. So when he was just coming up to three, uh, then he wanted stories before bed. It was always a challenge to get kids to go to bed. I, I, I don't know with you because, I mean, you've got... He's only one, so he's uh, nearly one, so he's, he's, he's pretty good at going to bed and he doesn't listen to me at that point anyway. So, okay. <laughs> so Tom wanted stories. So we used to read all sorts of different stories, like bedtime stories, I mean, Mr., typically Mr. Men books. So it would be Mr. Tickle, Mr. S- Mr. Happy, Mr. Tall, and, and whatever. And then I thought, well, if kids, uh, their brain... It's like a sponge. They're just soaking up everything. Why then teach them about silly things, really? Why not try and educate them as well? And then why not do something that's educational, that gets them thinking? And when they're thinking, they're becoming tired. And when they're tired, they want to go to sleep. So it it kind of serves many purposes. So Tom started saying he wanted other books about like rockets to the moon and stuff. I thought, where am I going to find books like that, that are short bedtime stories that actually make sense, that, that would leverage on, on him? So I couldn't find any. So I said to Tom one night, this was back in 2015, I said to Tom, look, I'm going to tell you a story, right? Tell me you, you want about rockets going to the moon. So, I mean, you can kind of steal bits and pieces from things that you've seen, like Wallace and Gromit and, and whatever. But I, I want to make it more personal to him. So I asked him what he wanted in the story. Then we thought, how do we make this into a theme? And then every night it could be a different story, but it'll have a start, a middle, and an end. So a story, but but then interactive. So the very, very first story was, we, we themed these as well. Tom also has this comfort rabbit, which he calls Doodoo. And Doodoo was actually his very first words. Well, Tom's first words, not the rabbit. Uh, so uh, so he named his rabbit Doodoo. So he takes his takes Doodoo everywhere. And, and we've lost Doodoo many times, but that, that's a... You want to buy story. a second version of Doodoo, I think, just so you have backups. <laughs> you had to buy several, actually. Yeah. Uh, which actually... Yeah, a friend of mine actually has one of these clips, retractable clips. Uh, oh, yeah. It doesn't but, lose it then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so the, the first thing was about Tom and Doodoo. So the, we started with a theme. So I, I love the word marvelous. When people say, how are you? I always say marvelous. Sometimes tongue-in-cheek, oh, marvelous. Uh, it has lots of connotations to the word, so it, it's great to use. So I wanted something marvelous for Tom. So... We created these stories now called The Marvelous Adventures of Tom and Doodoo Going going to the Moon. Right. So that was the very, very first one. And and then it was kind of me just telling a story. But then I wanted it to be as much his story as it was mine. I just wanted to be kind of the narrator. But I wanted the magic and the imagination, as Einstein said, as a child – don't ever lose your imagination and creativity because that is something that gets inhibited as you, you grow older, but that is something magical that you should keep for the rest of your life. So as children, they have imagination and creativity. So I leveraged on that. I asked him to kind of steer where the story went. So the, the story ended up with Tom and Doodoo building a rocket, 
going to the moon, but then we started injecting other things that kids would do. So when you get up in the morning, you get dressed. So they're getting dressed, they're having their breakfast, then they can describe what they have for breakfast. So they're learning about that. Then they always brush their teeth. Then they go out to daddy's tool shed and, and they, they make this rocket and off they go to the moon. But also things like putting their seat belts on uh, in the rocket. So th they're learning as well. And and then they have the adventures at the moon, then they come back and, and everything else. So so we actually launched our very first book this week on Amazon Kindle. Uh, we created this. I, I found an illustrator that actually does caricature illustrations. So I sent her pictures of Tom and Dudu, and then she recreated the stories, uh, very short uh, story, bedtime stories to 10 to 15 minutes, but she created the very first book. So or the, the images for the book, and then we rewrote the book. But the, the, the beauty was, I mean, we don't forget the stories because we record every single one. So we've got audio recordings of four years now of storytelling. So I did that for the first kind of year or first few years with Tom until Sam and Abby, the twins, were old enough that they could understand, and then I went straight into telling them stories as well. But it's Sam and Abby's, the marvelous adventures of Sam and Abby going to the farm or the zoo or on a roller coaster ride or whatever it may be. Or they start injecting now. It's kind of mastered. They inject so much magic in there using their imagination. They wanted to go to Lollipop Land. And I thought, Lollipop Land? How do I make a story about that? So with, with their imagination, uh, we go to Lollipop Land. We go to on a roller coaster, they've created fictional characters as well, or real characters actually in, in the stories. Like Charlie is Abby's best friend and he's the donkey at the farm, but they go to the farm a lot, but Charlie wants to go with them on other adventures. So when I say, which friend do you want to take? She says, Charlie. And then, so when she went on the roller coaster, right, I know she is scared of things like that. So she introduces the third person being Charlie. And then she wants to go on the front seat on the roller coaster ride with Charlie because Charlie is scared and she has to hold Charlie's hand, right? So which really means that, as well. So yeah, which really means that she is scared and she's using the third party to actually express how she feels about being on a roller coaster. So the, the, it, there's so much magic that you can create from these stories. So. So now I, I teach parents the art of interactive bedtime storytelling for their children. And because they, our kids started telling their friends, and then their friends said, oh, tell me a story, tell me a story. So I've ended up sitting on the sofa right, with the kids coming around, like, and I'm telling them a story. Right. I, and they don't want to leave when the parents say, come on, we've got to go now. And say, no, no, we haven't heard the end of the story, because it's so magical. And... And also by recording them, they love to listen back to themselves. So you've not just created memorabilia. You've also created something that they love to listen to as well. So sometimes you're really feeling tired and I can't be bothered to read a story, although I, I know how magical it is. I, I'm just thinking, uh, oh, just listen to a recording. And, and they love that as well. They laugh at hearing themselves talking in, in the story. So... The, the kids always go to bed with happy dreams and something magical, something memorable, something that they can talk about. And and their imagination just goes wild, basically, in, in these stories, which is all captured. So that. So maybe going back to how I use this for the business world. And just even on, on it, uh, and I think you have the voice for telling these stories to, to kids as well. <laughs> I'd imagine it, 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 it works well with, with them. Do you... And it was just for, for parents, just to kind of have an idea of it. And, and definitely I'll, we can talk about how they can get in touch to, to learn a bit more about, is there, do you have a framework for the stories yes. then? It, it, there is, like there's kind of key start, middle and an end type things going on. Absolutely. Yeah. At the beginning, it was kind of make it up as you go along. Although we did have the theme, it had to be the marvelous adventures. So it's still the marvelous adventures this is kind of the, the title and the theme, The Marvelous Adventures of Tom and Dudu, and it's also The Marvelous Adventures of Sam and Abby. Mm -hmm. and, and then whatever they're doing, going to the moon, going to the lollipop land, going on a roller coaster, going on the banana boat is the latest one, uh, going to see the, the golden land where everything is golden. I mean, I could actually tell these stories. They're, they're so good. Uh, you, can, you get involved so much in them, 
you become childlike and it brings back all the emotions and memories of of you as a kid so you're really sharing this magical experience with them i, I can't endorse it enough for parents to actually do it, it's the byproducts of that are in, in, immeasurable but anyway so there is there is a structure to it so i, I like to think when kevin harrington said to me he I mean, he is kind of the pitching expert. So pitching is really storytelling. It's just done in different ways for different purposes. So, but there's always a, he says there's a three phase to it. Like a Hollywood movie, there's a start, middle and end, right? It's the same with storybooks should be start, middle and end. So he says, first of all, you've got to tease. So you've got to tease the audience. You've got to please the audience with something. And then you've got to seize the audience. So, so that's what he says. Now, I, I never like the word tease because the kids are always teasing each other. So I always associate tease with something negative. Right. So I want to have my own three. So I've created my three and my three C's. So I connect, I communicate, and I convert. So it can be used in business and also for per- personal use. So the connect is you connect with the right audience. In this case, it's the kids. I want to communicate, communicate something of value. So there should be something of value, which is the story, right? And there should always be injected more value along that way to keep them engaged. Right. And, and then the convert, the, the conversion is my, basically my call to action or my close. What do I want to achieve from doing it? What I want to achieve is I want to get them to go to sleep. Now, if you're doing an investor pitch, obviously you don't want them to go to sleep anyway, for sure. Sorry? Yeah, yeah you exactly. don't want them to go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You have to, there's always the, the, you have to achieve your desired outcome for the, for the reason why you're doing it. So everything should have a desired outcome and then you construct the story according to the outcome that you want to achieve. Okay. So that's, that, that's how we do it. So that's a three-phase approach. Cool. Very good. So yeah, maybe take it, you were going to go to the business side of the storytelling then, maybe just to talk a little bit about that. Yes. So on the business side, so as I said, so with Visibility Impact, uh, I, I was working with a lot of entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs. So I also set up my own Facebook group. So we've got uh, like 420 or so people in there now of like-minded people that want to be part of this. It's a closed group because we, we just want people in there that can help each other. So, and we also promote them. So, as something extra in there, I wanted to, to be able to offer a service that was different and everybody actually needs. If you think of uh, the reasons why you would need storytelling uh, for, for business purposes can be broken down into different areas. So, if you want to do an elevator pitch, now that would be something very short, 20 to 40 seconds elevator pitch. And it's called an elevator pitch because it's supposed to be done in the time that the elevator and the doors close and you go to the floor and you get out. So you've actually seen someone in there, an executive or whatever, and you want to quickly pitch something to them that quick enough that you're you're actually following these three things, T's, please and C's, or you connect, communicate and convert. So the outcome of that is I want to, to get a meeting set up with this executive so I, I can obviously tell them more about what right. I can do. Mm-hmm. So so there's the elevator pitch, there's the investor bait, in, in investor pitch. There's the keynote speaker pitch, the public uh, speaker pitch. I mean, the, the, uh, particularly the sales guy pitch. So when you're at, you've done the hard work to actually get a sales meeting set up. But unless it's formulated in a way that there's a desired outcome, what do I want to achieve from this meeting? So telling a story isn't about just presenting 101 slides that marketing are put together. And then you feel obsessed that you have to go through all these slides until the time comes at the end that you've run out of time, that half the audience have fallen asleep, and you haven't achieved the objective of what it is that you set out to do because maybe you didn't even know what that was. So kind of working backwards about if, if I get this meeting set up, what do I need to achieve? Do I need to them to sign a contract, uh, have a trial, mm. or What's the desired outcome? And then how do I achieve that by this mechanism and this formula, this three-step formula? And it's not all about necessarily presenting slides. It's about interacting. You need to interact because you need to be asking questions. 
you could use the doctor-patient analogy. So a patient goes to a doctor. The, the doctor sits and listens, right, before he injects and he starts to ask. Well, he'll ask questions like, "You've come. why have you come here today? Because I, I have a pain. Where's the pain? What sort of pain? And then it, it's a two-way dialogue. So it has to be something like that in, in a meeting now, with an investor, with, with whoever, with the children, uh, with, with business partners. You're telling, you're telling it in a story format because the story is memorable. If you tell a story, I mean, we all do it. If you tell a story down the pub with your, your mates, they will remember the story. It could be a joke or a situation or something. I have had friends that I've told a story to, kind of real situation stories, and in 20 years later, they're still reminding me of the story yeah. because it's memorable. But if I was to tell them about a bunch of features and functionality, they'll forget before they've walked out the pub. So how do you, we, we do it naturally, but how to kind of decompose it and then structure it in a way that actually makes sense. Now, to actually do that, it's harder than you think. To, to, to get it so it's engaging, you're injecting a ton of value, you're selling your unique selling points, the value proposition, and you're keeping that momentum going enough that they're hooked, that they want to know more. They're saying, well, come on, yeah, how do I contact you? What's next? So you're getting them in a state that that's what they want. Now, whether it's, as I said, as a public speaker or investor or whatever, you want the audience. And, and I've got tons of examples that I actually show on, on each one of these, uh, how you, you can do that and examples of other people. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm the greatest uh, at storytelling, but I know how to do it. I mean, other people may have a more calmer, soothing, deeper and voice, but it's also about leveraging on your voice. So to, to show people in the business world to do this is also fantastic because everybody needs it, whether you're an executive that you're doing a keynote, whether you're a sales guy that, that's selling a product or service or, or whatever it is that they're selling, an individual, whether they're promoting themselves. Everybody needs to understand how to do it in an elegant way and a structured way that actually is powerful and it, it gets, gets them the desired outcome. How much of it do you look at from connecting in, on an emotional level as well because I think that, you know, yeah. with any story, that that's hugely important. Yes, so th there's many different ways. So you also have to look at the type of audience that you're speaking to and, and what it is that you're actually speaking about. Now, people buy, typically buy from people. And like, if you have two companies selling exactly the same products and, and they're both on a par with each other, they will buy from the person that they trust. So I also say that there's, there's also four parts to enable that. So first of all, you need to be visible. You don't want to be the best kept secret, so you need to be visible. So you need that visibility. Second, you can, you can become visible, but you want the right sort of visibility. So I could dress up as a clown and walk down the street. For sure, I'm going to be visible, but yeah. am I going to be credible? Mm. No. So you have visibility first, then you need credibility. So how do I get credibility? So the credibility is that you've proven that you've done this a number of times and people have endorsed you, they've done testimonials and so, so you create that credibility. Now, credibility, people could still think, well, I, I don't connect with that person. I don't feel good about that. My gut feeling is not there, which is something, another subject that I actually talk about, gut feeling and the power of that. Uh, but so what you want is authenticity. So I've now got visibility. I'm credible. And people are connected with me. They think I'm authentic. But I still might not be trustworthy. Yes. So then you need the trust as well. So these are my four elements. So visibility, credibility, authenticity, and trust. And once you've got those and you combine those with your storytelling, then you're also touching on, as uh, you mentioned, emotional level. Yes, People buy through emotion. I mean, it, it depends on what you're actually selling as well. 
if it's the storytelling and that, you can connect on an emotional level that, that creates that bond between what it is that you want to achieve with your kids. So that can be very emotional. When you're selling something to differentiate yourself, a story that's a powerful and moving and inspiring story can also be on an emotional level. So it, it, it really depends on your desired outcome, but emotion definitely plays a key role in that. Very good. I love the four pieces and it all seems to fit together well. Just on trust, uh, maybe is there any, that's a that's a huge thing, right? Trust, you have to trust somebody. And I think we're, I was reading recently where we're traditionally willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, you, you, you kind of want to trust somebody. It's, it's almost that they, they have to do something for you not to trust them in lots of ways. How do you develop the trust? Is there any one or two ways that you kind of advocate around that yeah so we kind of touch on what yeah which i i say is kind of your sixth sense which is your gut feeling i mean people actually say it's the second brain your gut and yeah i I think we we underestimate the value of that so i mean our gut tells us a lot when we're hungry our stomach is kind of grumbling and saying like "I, i need some food when we're not feeling well, our stomach is telling us. So uh, if you're in a situation where you're talking with a group of people or an individual and you just don't feel the connection, you don't feel it's good, and your gut is normally telling you walk away. So your, your gut instinct is something that you should depend on a lot more. You, you should actually leverage on that because invertently it's correct. And it always has been, yet you don't believe it. So I, I think if there's that, if your gut is not telling you to walk away, then that trust can be built on like, who else have you worked with and kind of show me like some examples of your work and, and everything else. And, and yeah, just get them to kind of open up a bit more. Tell, tell me more about you as a person and, and to build that, that kind of that relationship because I want to be able to trust in you as well. So, yeah, trust you can go down kind of different avenues. But uh, initially, I'd say if your gut is telling you walk away, then walk away. And, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't matter if they're credible or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and they claim that they're authentic. If your gut is telling you otherwise, mm-hmm. then there can't be any trust there. Mm-hmm. Or, or not for you anyway. Right. It just doesn't resonate and feel good. Yeah, I think that's good advice, and it's it's a difficult one to do because a lot of the times we just, as you said, it's screaming at us that something's not right, but we try mm-hmm. to persist in whatever it be a relationship, be it work or, or life or whatever, um, and you know, then it turns out that it doesn't work out the way you wanted it, and you kind of regret it, and hindsight twenty twenty, and all of that. So it's tuning in and and being able to um, to respect what is coming from the inside lots of, lots of times, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's also for the other person to kind of inspire uh, that, that trust. So what is it that they're saying and doing that is making you feel good? Definitely. James, I really enjoyed listening to your story about visibility impact and the storytelling for, for kids. <laughs> Definitely going to take some tips away from that um, and, and business because I think, uh, you know, pitching, being able to tell your story to get a client to get somebody on site to, to to believe in you is is so important in, in business and and in life so thanks for sharing that as always to, to wrap up is there ways folks can learn more about you about what you do about the interactive storytelling how they could connect in with you yeah so they can connect to me on on facebook so on my my personal facebook account uh so that's uh, just all one word james moffat three and then they should find me. Uh, you can go through the website, uh, visibilityimpact.com. And basically, they're, they're the two best. Or, I mean, email, I've also got james.moffat at visibilityimpact.com. So visibility impact being one word. Cool. And on LinkedIn, I think that's one of the areas. Oh, yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, there's many, many different ways. LinkedIn, they can find me on LinkedIn as well. Brilliant. So thanks so much for sharing that, James. Look forward to getting it out and uh, 
hearing from many parents that have taken something from this, getting their kids to sleep uh, earlier at night will no doubt help them be more successful in, in lots of ways as well. Okay, it's been a pleasure. And yeah, sorry to kind of diversify a little bit in there, but I, it, it's nice to also to get kind of the background of how I got to there. Absolutely. I think the uh, Ikigai piece is very interesting and hopefully will open up that to, to people as well that haven't heard about it before too. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. Not at all. Thanks, James. So this is the outro of the podcast, guys. You got to the end and that is great. Please hang in here for another couple of minutes. I know most people won't, but maybe there's something here of interest. So check this out. First off, thanks so much for listening to this one, as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it. Why not check them out if you haven't already? There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well. So much has changed over the last few years since I started it. I've really realized lots of the goals that I put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well. And I think anytime you take on action towards a goal, you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way. And hopefully they're good things. In this particular episode, was there any one or two things that jumped out? Maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do. Do it now. Take it out. Write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode. Put a plan in place and then work towards it. Applying yourself deliberately over time. Take ownership. Build a habit. Improve. Get 1% better. Share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve. That's what it's all about. That's my hopefully inspirational piece done other areas to note check out the website robofthegreen.ie you can consume everything there for free there is obviously the podcast there's video one minute monday clips there's articles Uh, not enough but i'd like to put more there if you're interested in putting one there let me know and there's a get better app page which i'm starting to add new content to over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at robofthegreen.ie instead but it's all about trying to engage you and get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at robofthegreen.ie is the website or at robofthegreen on all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the apps that you might listen to it on talk about it tell a friend about it tell your family members about it share some of the ideas not only to your friends but to me is there anything i can improve upon sign up to the newsletter that's there as well i'm experimenting again with a group called slack rob of the green on slack this is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas you can sign up to that on the website as well all of this is obviously all free but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do it's there it's totally up to you everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better so to close i am always trying to improve and get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place. Thanks for sticking to the very end. Talk to you next time and take care. Good luck.